tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap. Goldfinger, Jeff Starship, Wind and the Willows, not the book, and Bonsai Babies. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. That's right. It's episode 29. And guess what? Three old guys are going back in time. To 19... 78. I am joined by Jonathan J.M. Rowe, who is actually in a town near Austin tonight. And I am. Yes, he is. And I'm uh, joined with Tony Slagle, who is in the hot box. (laughs) Still in the closet. (laughs) I guess that means the wife is out of prison this week. (laughs) So you, uh, you are confined to the closet. Tonight we're talking about an album by the American band Blondie. Came out in 1978. This album's Parallel Lines. This is their big monster album. And Tony. Yeah, Doug. This is an album that you like a great deal. It is an album I like a great deal. So you'll be doing most of the talking this evening (laughs) i will be making polite comments and not talking about the lead singer's appearance because that doesn't matter to me i only care about one woman in the whole world and i hope that's clear to everybody who might ever talk to her um well we're going to go back over some territory we've been through before with the ramones tonight aren't we a little bit, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of the same uh, DNA in terms of uh, location and what the bands are trying to do. Um, there's also, I wanted to mention, and we'll get to it, there's there's some overlap between the Cars debut and, and this album so. as well hmm. uh, and a couple of odd things that you probably wouldn't think about. Well, I know that one of the brilliant people on this uh, podcast brought up a band that this band toured with for a period of time, and hopefully we'll get to talk to that and uh, revisit the band Rockpile. Uh, I my first question is for you guys because I know y'all were alive back in the seventies. What's the deal with black and white, with red and skinny ties? 
How did that start? <laughs> well, <laughs> this album epitomizes uh, skinny tie pop. Yeah, the uh, a couple of things. One is uh, the band hated that cover, absolutely hated it. Um, and I and I think because uh, th- I think they fought against this idea at least early on, and this was still this is their third album. So this is still early on that this was Deborah Harry's band. And the rest of the guys were just there hanging around. Um, So I think that was one of the reasons. Because you look at that album cover, it's her standing in stark contrast to the other to the uh, other guys standing behind her. They Um, look like the background. Yeah, they match the background. They're dressed the same as the background, and they're and and she looks like the mean uh, lady across (laughs) the mean hot lady that lives across the street. Well, and the other thing I want to say is I've got some friends who listen to this. At least I think they still listen to it. Um, and I'm actually going to sh- give them a shout out, Eric and Amy. They made they they told me they were going to make a drinking game for every time I've said the word power pop. They're going to take a shot, and I have a feeling they're going to be staggering, staggering out of the out of the room or wherever they're listening to it tonight. Because I'm going to probably talk about power pop a lot tonight. That's hilarious <laughs> that you think that game doesn't already exist. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, like, uh, and they have to drink when JM says boohoo. Mm-hmm. So, so one of the, one of the uh, things that I wanted to talk about in terms of the, the the similarities between the Cars and this band was uh, when we talked about the Cars debut, we mentioned that Rick Ocasek and um, Benjamin Orr were in a band prior to the Cars, and it was a folk rock band, um, and oddly enough. Deborah Harry was in a, several bands before Blondie, but her very first band was a band called Wind, Wind in the Willow. If laughter comes on bleary days And the cool boy's face is play and play Till it's all let's loose Good morning And they were a psychedelic folk band. They put out, <laughs> they put out one album in, uh, on Capitol Records called The Wind in the Willows. Um, and in addition to her singing uh, vocals on some of the songs, she also plays the tambourine and the finger cymbals. Oh. Uh, and this stuff is as, I mean, it is as, uh, it's almost like someone sat down and said, how can we make a parody of psychedelic folk music? That's, <laughs> that's what this, this is like, a, this is like a Spinal Tap doing Flower People. So like um, if, yeah, if, if unicorns could form a band, this is the band uh, that they would. Oh they would yeah. Form. It's, it's, it is something else. Um, but they, uh, they released an, one album and then their second album, which I guess they were working on was never recorded, but, uh, she went from that sort of thing to, um, a band called the stilettos. Which was a a band, a kind of a female centered band, uh, that was sort of the precursor to punk. Um, you know, she had, she lived in New Jersey, was j- just like the guys in the Ramones, um, was fans of the New York Dolls, went to see the Dolls, and and it sort of started. I it, it's it's hard to underestimate the influence the New York Dolls had on bands. Um, yeah. The, in the well, punk scene in the late, 70, late 70s, you know? They really do, yeah. Um, they were 
kind of like the uh, Mott the Hoople of the United States. Yeah. Yeah. And they just, they influenced all, all these people were looking for something, I guess, uh, that was the antithesis to what was on the radio. And the do- dolls certainly were, um, you know, radio was, uh, you know, stuff like prog rock and eagles and things of that nature. And, and mm-hmm. the New York dolls were not that they were rock and roll with a capital R and another capital R. Um, but uh, so she was in that band, um, and that's where she met Chris Stein. Chris Stein was a guitarist for the Stilettos. Um, they broke off and uh, started a band called Angels and the Snakes, um, which also it, uh, ended up including uh, Clem Burke, who was uh, going to be Blondie's drummer in the future. Um, and and it's funny they changed their name to Blondie, and there's a couple of different stories about that. Uh, the most popular one is that. Uh, it was na- they were named after the cat calls Deborah Harry used to get when she'd walk around New York and, you know, construction goes, go oh, Blondie, yo Blondie. And so she thought, Oh, that's, that's a better name than angel and the snakes. Um, <laughs> but it didn't hurt that they also they got two two additional singers who were also blonde. So it made sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then those, those two girls left or two women left and they got two sisters to join the band and they were for a while called Blondie and the bonsai babies. Um, <laughs> And then they they went tied up. I don't know. Short. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, exactly. And then the uh, and then those those two uh, singers left and they went back to Blondie. Um, And then over the course of the next two albums, their their debut and uh, and their second album, Plastic Letters, they they coalesced in sort of what is considered the quintessential lineup, which was Deborah Harry, lead singer, uh, Chris Stein guitar, Clem Burke drums, Frank Infante was another guitarist. Uh, Jimmy Destry was on keyboards, and Nigel Harrison was the bass player. Yeah, um, but was he there at the very beginning on those first? Was he on the first album? Nigel Harrison? Yeah, I can't remember. Uh, they, they... No, no, no. Frank Infante uh, actually yeah. played bass on Plastic Letters. He was a session musician on the first album, and then he played bass on the second album, bass guitar on the second album, and then Nigel Harrison joined so he could just primarily focus on bass. Here's a here's an interesting, just a brief side note about Frank Infante. Before Blondie, he was in a band called Sniper. You guys know anything about Sniper? Who, who else was in Sniper? Can't say that I do. So Sniper was a, uh, was a glam rock band. Um, and their lead singer was someone who went by the name of Jeff Starfish. Or, I'm sorry, not Starfish, Starship. Jeff Starship. And Jeff Starship later <laughs> Jeff changed his name. Yeah. He later that changed his name. Be, that must be Paul Kentner. No, he later changed his name to Joey Ramone. Oh, oh really? Oh, wow. Yeah. What band did he end up in? Uh, Jefferson Starship? Yeah. No, the Ramones. Yeah. So anyway, there's a lot. I hope that none of our fans out there are Googling that right now to find out if that's true. That was a joke. (laughs) Yeah, it was a joke. No, joined. So it's funny because that that group, you know, we're talking about the New York Dolls and all these bands going to see them or whatever are all these eventual bands that that um, scene was very incestuous at the time. I mean, Clem Burke Burke tried out for television, as did Dee Dee Ramone. Um, these guys were all hanging out at CBGB's in Maxis, Kansas City. 
Um, and, uh, you know, and they, they were, they were all listening and rooting for each other. And a lot of times they were the only people in the, in the audience watching the other yeah. bands. Um, I mean, it must've been that's fun a, to have been there in the seven, in the mid seventies. And, or, you know, I would have hated it. I bet the place stunk to high heaven and I bet everybody <laughs> was an ass, but somebody needs to make a documentary about that whole scene. Is, is, is there yeah. one out there that we can recommend? Um, well, there's, you know, the end of the century, which is about the Ramones that has some of that stuff. I believe there's a CBGB's documentary out. I have not seen it, so I don't, I can't vouch for whether it's, there should be one. And why there's not one about the, uh, talking heads is, is beyond me as well, because they were such an integral part of that. And Blondie, I mean, actually I'm, I'm saying that now there is a documentary on Blondie that I think, I can't remember if it was the New York times or the wall street journal for a very short time they were doing. Uh, kind of histories of bands and would kind of center on a on a period and they uh, actually made a, a a really good video about um this album parallel lines and interviewed the you know the the band's pretty much split up now but um they interviewed all the they found all the original people that played on it and it's really and they uh talked to the producer um mike chapman and, yeah, Mike. Yeah, we, we need we need to talk about him a little later. We do need to talk about him. He's he's um, a uh, interesting guy. But, but what I was going to say is things, uh, that one of the things that Tony said that I think bears repeating, and it needs to be clear from the beginning, is we say Blondie were, not Blondie was, and I hear people make that mistake all of the time. <laughs> Blondie is a group, right? It's not Debbie Harry. De- Debbie it's Harry. Like, well, I call like, it Debbie. We're close. She might kick you, uh, you know, with her stilettos. It's like uh, it's like people who think that Pink Floyd is a guy or Je- Jethro Tull Jethro is a Tull. guy. I mean, Jethro Tull was a guy. He invented the seed drill, but he wasn't. He's not the bearded, long-haired guy playing the flute. <laughs> That's Ian Anderson. Or Uriah Heep. Uh, yeah. Uh, but Uriah um, here, here's the other kind of uh here's the other interesting thing uh that's a little odd about this this band and the cars so when the car we talked about this when the cars debut came out rick okasic was 34 years old which is really hard to i mean to think about that your first album comes out we don't talk about a lot of people that had a debut album at 34 right (laughs) well here uh deborah harry when the blondie debut came out deborah harry was 31 when Parallel Lines came out, she was 33. Is that right? I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah. I thought she was my age. No. <laughs> no. So, uh, so anyway, um, I hate to keep bringing up her appearance because, as I've already mentioned, that's not at all important to me, and I haven't even noticed it. But she does not <laughs> appear to be a woman in her 30s. Well, I think it's uh, it's fair outside of us seeming like creepy old men to talk about um, Deborah Harry's appearance because that was an integral part of what this band sold. And that's um, absolutely the only interest we have in that. Right, Tony? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um I mean, it would be it'd be doing a disservice to this band uh, to dismiss the fact that she was not. I mean, she was aware of her sex appeal and she used it to to uh, to great extent when she performed live, when she sang. I mean, there's songs on this album that the only word to describe them is uh, sultry or sexy. Yeah, you know how. Check out those shoes. 
I was just going to talk about the first two albums before we get to Mike Chapman, because Mike Chapman is is really why this album. Yeah. Uh, he's why this album and and why the band took off. I mean, obviously they yeah. they had talent, but he's the one that that focused <laughs> that. So their debut comes out. They were the one of the last, if not the last, band out of the New York punk scene to get signed. Um, their debut comes out on an indie label. Uh, private stock records in 1976 and it is does nothing um mm. they uh they're playing in la and and i i guess the producer who's the one the producer of the first two albums is the one who signed them to private stock talks someone from chrysalis to come to watch them play in la and the guy in chrysalis is blown away he signs them they re-release their first album on chrysalis and then they release their second album uh on um uh, plastic letters also which mm-hmm. uh has has some minor both those albums chart in the uk they don't do anything really in the states but they both chart in the uk in is fact that plastic- because they got a guy in their band named nigel <laughs> <laughs> he is british isn't he uh, i don't know that but that maybe yeah he's british, british. nobody but, um, nigel unless they're british <laughs> but uh the uh yeah they had a top 10 hit um off plastic letters um in the uk that same song, Denny, uh, or Denis, however you say it in French, uh, only reached 72 in the States. So um, they end up getting coming to the attention of this producer named Mike Chapman, who, uh, for those of you who don't recognize that name, he produced a lot of people and he wrote a lot of hit songs, yeah, a, lot a lot of hit songs. songs. Yeah. He uh, he produced The Knack, he pr- produced Su- Susie Quattro, he he produced a suite and was responsible yeah. for suites early success he wrote ballroom blitz co-wrote it with his song partner um nick uh chino or chinko i think is his name uh they wrote they co-wrote a whole lot of stuff up until the early 80s uh they they wrote uh uh, they wrote mickey the tony basil hit Uh, (laughs) you you want to know another um, song that he did that's going to surprise y'all what's that kiss you all over by exile i want to kiss you all over Well, he also wrote I Love and Soul. All over. <laughs> Exile, Exile also did Love and Soul, um, I mean, Heart and Soul, um, yeah. which was a Huey Lewis song uh, mm-hmm. that was a hit by Huey Lewis, but Exile did, did it as well. They wrote that. Lewis. They wrote that. And then uh, he take the soul out of any song. <laughs> when, we ought to when, do a uh, when Mike, episode on how bad Huey Lewis is. Like Huey Lewis when, versus, uh, when Mike Chapman uh, <laughs> versus uh, Buffett, Jimmy Buffett versus Huey Lewis. Oh, yeah, that'd be good. Foreigner <laughs> versus Huey Lewis. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so Mike Chapman 
gets down and he's known for a guy who has complete control in the in the in the recording studio he in fact so much control that he says here's a song i wrote you guys are going to do it and this is how you're going to do it yeah Um, this was not the way he handled this band but what's what's interesting about him so Deborah Harry says that this guy changed the way the band approached music in the studio because he was much more sophisticated than what they'd gone to. It was like going to school again. Chapman says this band was hard to work with initially. The mm-hmm. funny thing is, he he says he hated their loose like he they had a really loose kind of New York punk attitude about this. Yeah. You know, this yeah. they just wanted to have fun and didn't want to work too hard. He said this is the worst band he'd ever worked with. Yeah. Uh, so, said, well, can we said, take Jim, a little break there? Because I have a question about that. Yeah, <laughs> we, we we brought up the cars earlier, and uh-huh. one thing that's apparent immediately when you're listening to the cars is the caliber of the band you're you're listening to. Mm-hmm. They're they're amazing. They 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 blow you away as soon as you figure out what they're doing, and it's as soon as you can pull all the parts apart and find out how good everybody is. We're dealing with something different here tonight, are we not? Uh, Yeah, we are. But I, I think he's a little tough on the band. I think those first two albums are great. Um, I mean... Uh, do we have a standout musician in this band? That, uh, we do. I well, we do now. We do at this point in the band, at this point in the band, and... Uh, we do have a standout musician, um, and that's the guitarist, not Chris Stein, but um, John Infante. Uh, yeah, or, yeah. He he's he is a um, uh, Chapman said he was an amazing guitarist and the most technically permi- proficient member of the band. So he stands out as a guy who knows what he's doing. Um, the rest of the guys, he said, Clem Burke had a lot of ability but no sense of timing. He said that Chris Stein was just stoned all the time. <laughs> And yeah. Jimmy Destry, while he could write a a great song, was a mediocre keyboardist. Um, so he, he what what he would do is work individually with all of them. He'd pull them out of the band setting and try to get them get their chops up. Look, uh, again, it this band is nothing without Deborah Harry. Uh, mm-hmm. Deborah Harry uh, early on carries to a certain extent those first two albums. Less so on this album because I think this album really does. The band shines. The production quality is fantastic on it. Yeah. I mean, this guy really, really turned this band around. And as much of a pain in the rear end it was, and, and judging from all the people in the band, he was a real hard ass to work work with. He stayed on with the band until they broke up in 82 for the first time yeah. up in 82. So obviously they saw something worth having in, in dealing with his his um him as a producer because he was able I, to pull stuff out of them that they that they otherwise would not have been able to do. Yeah. I think that um, I think he's the he's the one that said that he's a big believer in third albums. Oh, is he? And yeah. I, I after reading that, I started going through the catalog of third albums in my mind, and uh, there are some very remarkable third albums. Uh, Making movies is one that we talked about. Uh, Born yeah. to Run. Born to Run, yeah. Um, but and I thought of a bunch of others that have slipped my mind. But Electric uh, Lady Land was uh, was it uh, wasn't Damn the Torpedoes number three? Damn the Torpedoes was number three, yeah. So, uh, that that does seem to be the make it or break it for the band. They either up their game or they're out of there. 
Well, but he was also a hit hit making machine. And he's famous for saying that musicians should make hits. And if you can't make hit hit signals, you should go chop meat someplace. That was his (laughs) thing. Go chop meat if you can't make a hit. So he focused on that a lot. Um, Yeah. But another thing about this, I guess his his um, work ethic paid off because this album was given. They gave uh, gave him six months to make this record and they were done in six weeks. Yep. And it sounds amazing it, for six it does weeks. sound amazing it sounds it sounds uh, yeah there's guys that take two years to make an album that, that doesn't some sound guys as good technically two weeks to make classic albums <laughs> but i'm <laughs> not gonna bring that up now because that would be uh no it wouldn't be gracious <laughs> <laughs> all right well, uh, wait, when you've got people else? in the when you've got people in the studio and you just say play whatever and this is the one take it's easy to do yeah. that in two weeks doug yeah, well i mean yeah and Orson, you, and you're you're yeah got a direct antenna connected to god and god <laughs> all the songs well For and those of you who don't know what we're talking about listen to last week's episode yeah <laughs> so there and then uh one last thing i want to say is that they're you know deborah harry to me is always come across as one of the most confident yeah, I, singers that's out there. You know, I, I can only think of somebody who might I, I would put in that same regard is uh, Chrissy Hine. I mean, she they both kind of have that same attitude, I guess. But supposedly when she was in the studio, she could not do like more than two or three takes of a song before she would just start um, breaking down and crying. And it's just uh, so different from her persona. And I uh, think that... Uh, what we just heard is probably the pull quote for the evening. The the comparison of Christy Hine to um, <laughs> Blondie Deborah Harry. to Deborah Harry. Yeah, is this what I, I just, think what I just is, did. is amazing because the whole time I was listening to this album, I was saying, quit thinking about the pretenders. There's no way <laughs> she can hold her own with that gal. Yeah. Oh, I don't know so, about that. I don't know about that either. I, do I think, think Deborah that- Harry's voice is fantastic. And I think it's funny that you mentioned her confidence because I agree with you, JM, but for, but Mike Chapman was able to get it c- to come out a uh, tenfold on this album. I mean, she yeah. sounds, she sounds amazingly confident on these songs. Yeah. Supposedly um, he, she didn't like him at first. And then he, he started uh, complimenting her on, um, what is it? Sunday's Sunday's child. Sunday. Sunday, Sunday girl, Sunday's Sunday child. Girl. <laughs> Sunday's child. Yeah, what am I thinking? You're Sunday, Sunday girl. Child. Yeah. <laughs> um, Only one of the greatest pop songs ever written, but whatever. That's a fantastic song, but we'll get to that. It's surprising to me that he did not think they were very good musicians because I went back and started watching. They hosted the Midnight Special pretty soon after this album came out. And uh, I thought they did a fine job on the they did like four or five songs while they were hosting and the band just sounded great yeah well that could be based on what he did he i mean he whipped them into shape to a certain extent uh i really it it really i don't think can be overstressed how much this guy uh changed the changed the musicianship of this band and kind of coalesced them 
mm-hmm. you know, the funny thing was they all hated each other except for Chris Stein and Deborah Harry. They were the only two that got <laughs> along. Everyone else hated hated well, each yeah, other. They got, didn't um, they wind up getting married at one point? Or they never got married. They, they were an item. Married. The, yeah. I heard a story one time that he he uh, that Mike Chapman pissed uh, um, Chris Stein. Uh, no, 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 no. Um, the the bassist, um, Nigel Harrison's yeah. uh, so much that he threw a keyboard at him. Oh and yeah. Someone, someone commented and said, "Look, he couldn't even throw his own instrument. He had to pick someone else's <laughs> instrument and throw it." But uh, yeah, he threw a keyboard at him. But uh, then keyboards so you're were saying a lot that, more expensive. Uh, that he made a huge contribution to this band and it can't Chapman is uh, an important part of why this album is so successful. Yeah. And in particular, when we get to a certain song, he essentially rearranged it for them and made it swing. Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry. sorry. Uh, and, and, and uh, because uh, anyway, we'll talk about that when we get to it, but yeah. Now, did he no. ever produce the, uh, any of the pretenders albums? I don't believe I so. I don't think so. No, oh, I guess they didn't need him. Anyway, <laughs> let's get into the album now. Oh yeah, okay, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. We can't back away from that. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna say needing a producer is a bad thing. I mean, the Beatles weren't the Beatles without George Martin. Yeah, good point. So yeah. are you gonna yeah. say that they well, they just couldn't hold their own because they had George Martin in the studio with them? No, no I'm gonna say that uh they did a great job. <laughs> for, for a british band oh lord <laughs> My buddy buddy holly told him how to do it <laughs> that's what texas is for <laughs> yeah we're just gonna be hard to to uh bring texas into this album not really oh well i'm gonna be presently uh, norman petty anyway all right all right so uh let's get going on this record all right um Let's start with uh, track one. How do y'all like that? Hanging on the telephone. Hanging on the telephone. And yeah. it was written by Jack Lee, who I don't know who the hell that is. He um, is the, he's the lead singer or the lead guitarist of a band called The Nerves. They were a power pop. Everyone take a shot. Power pop trio <laughs> from L.A. in 1974. And Paul Collins was in that band. And Peter Case was in that band. And Peter Case, Peter Case formed the Plimsolls later yeah. on. Uh, for those of you who know the Plimsolls, um, they did a hit with Million Miles Away. But uh, And then Paul Collins had the Paul Collins beat. Um, he's also got a great solo album called The King of Power Pop. Take another shot. Um <laughs> And uh, <laughs> this was uh, this everybody is the first... needs to call an Uber tonight. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first track on the the nerves only released an EP, and this is the first track on the EP. And this song, the nerves version, is great. The distinction between the nerves version and Blondie's version is the nerves version is told from the point of view of a guy who's sort of distraught. He's pining over being left on the telephone. Blondie's is more angry about that that uh, yeah. that concept. Um, 
you know, uh, it's sharper, it's meaner sounding. They're both great versions. The funny thing is, uh, they hated that telephone ringing in the beginning. They thought it was cheesy, but uh, the nerves yeah. version starts the same way. So it's like, if well, you're going to be true to the cover, be true to the cover. Right. Well, that was a British, uh, ringtone, by the way. I remember cause he said <laughs> to call my girlfriend all the time in London. Oh, the, <laughs> the, two, the two rings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, they had heard this on a mixtape or something, and they called Jack Lee and asked if they could record it. And Jack Lee was a bit down on his luck at the time. And uh and he said, Oh yeah, please do. Um and uh I imagine made him some pretty good scratch. Yeah. They do it's a great version of that. Oh, it's song. a fan it's a fantastic version. I mean the original's great and this cover is great. Yeah. Well, we go next to track two, which is one way or the other. One way or another. I'm gonna find you. I'm gonna get you, get you, get you, get you. One way or another. I'm gonna win you. I'm gonna get you, get you, get you, get you. One way. One way or another. One way or another. What did I say? Or the One other. Or the <laughs> other. Well, that's like when I did my wedding vows. <laughs> I said uh, I said it wrong. It let me in out i said for better or for worse instead of for better and worse there's been quite a quite a bit of comment about that whether that was intentional or not i assure everyone that that was not intentional it was a mistake and i will never make it again i will be sorry for it for the rest of my life all right so this was a big hit and uh, this is kind of a stalker song and if a guy had written it that wasn't sting everybody would be really uncomfortable <laughs> with it well it was a star it was about a guy an ex ex-boyfriend who stalked deborah harry uh i guess she dated him when she was with the stilettos and uh she said this guy was uh, he worked at a chemical plant all all day and drank all night and he'd show up and call her on the phone every hour and hang outside of her door and uh and as bad and harrowing as an event it was, in fact, it made her leave New Jersey because she lived in New Jersey at the time. Jeez. She ended up writing a song that she thought, ah, I'll put a little spin on it and make it a little funny. So it's, yeah. she wanted to write about a stalker with a little Sounds bit like of Sounds like she made uh, lemonade. Yes, she made <laughs> lemonade out of it. Um, Her voice on this is fantastic, by the way. I love yeah. the way she just intertwines with the guitar and it's well, it, amazing. Absolutely. And Chris Stein says that this is the perfect mixture of punk and pop, this yeah. song. And it's the vocals and the guitar interplay, just like you said. It's got that snarl of punk and the glossiness of pop. Um, and yeah. uh, and they and he says it's all the song. The way this song sounds is all because of the producer. It's well, be, I mean, uh, you know how JM was talking about that telephone yeah. sounding British earlier? Yeah, I think this guitar does the uh, European, maybe British, I don't know, uh, siren noise. Oh, that. That's just me uh, with my wild imagination. No, you're right. I mean, it's got that chaotic kind of ending to it. I hadn't even thought about that, but you're right. It is a it is a kind of a European British uh, siren. Um, you guys huh. have very, uh, they, they were so much more popular in England than the United States, especially the first, uh, efforts. Y'all have a theory on why that was. 
because the Brits evidently like good music. <laughs> I, I mean, think about Brits. was popular at the time in the in the states. Yeah, and, and, you know, Tony's been uh, upset that I criticize <laughs> him for hating America so much, and there he goes talking because the Brits like good music. Well, um, the, the, the Moody the, Blues have to come over here to make money. That's true. Well, that's true. That's, that's what they're one the, of the few. Uh, uh, what's what's interesting though is the way they targeted the British audience when this album came out. They released there were certain singles they released only in the UK that they didn't release here. This is one of the songs they released in the US that was not a single in the UK. Yeah. Instead, they released "Sunday Girl" in the UK, which was not a single in the US, which really? is a travesty. <laughs> Tell me about. Let's stop talking about "Sunday Girl" till we get there, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> no discipline. Um, sure, there's a couple of places up ahead where Jam can boohoo and where Tony can <laughs> run down old glory. Um, <laughs> we got picture this next. Songwriting machine Harry and Stein coming in for the first time. Yeah, this is the and the keyboard. This is the first single, which is an odd choice if you ask me. It's a great song. I it's have a nothing great song. against yeah. the song. In fact, the song, you know, Deborah Harry talks a lot about how she wanted to instill this band with kind of this Phil Spector girl group sound, and mm -hmm. I think this song sounds like a Ronette song to me. I do too. Uh, yeah, and yeah. and. Uh, and um yeah it's uh it's fantastic but it's an odd it's an odd choice for a single to me um mm -hmm. and not surprising yeah. they released it and it didn't do anything <laughs> at least in the states it did reach number 12 in the in the in the UK but um didn't even chart in the states nothing about the the order of the singles on this album makes any sense whatsoever <laughs> to me no I'm, it doesn't i'm going to i'm going to do what i just told y'all to stop doing Sunday Girl would have been the most obvious. Oh yeah, I don't. Well, I mean, I don't care if you only have an IQ of fifty. You ought to be able to figure that out. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, the uh, anyway, yeah, I think you that, could be the most limited bass player on the planet Earth, and you should be able to figure that one out. <laughs> There's time to drink too. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we gotta get the bass player uh, disparagement. In <laughs> fade away breaking it and radiate fade away radiate fade away and radiate things become my dream my dream is on the screen uh, this okay. is not Buddy Holly fade away. No. Yeah, fade away and radiate. I mean, um, this has to be the most uh, artistic song in it. I, mean, you know, I, I don't you know. Plays guitar means. on it, right? Yes. And it, whoever decided that Robert <laughs> Fripp should play guitar on that—that was a stroke of genius. I it's mean, a that, fantastic that, song. Fantastic. It, it, I, it, I love it, this song. It, it's it's and this uh, going back to what I said about sultry. This song, woo, 
Well, she starts off with that kind of Betty Boop yeah. kind of vocals, and then it starts I've becoming something that very different. That, that bimbo <laughs> attitude. <laughs> but um, I like Katie Couric. <laughs> this uh, this song definitely, uh, and maybe it's because I know Fripps on it, but it definitely has yeah. kind of a prog feel to it to me. Yeah, as fact, my, when I was, I was playing it, it, when I was playing yeah. it for my wife, she even mentioned it. She goes, "This sounds kind of like a prog song." I said, yeah. "Well, you know." Guess who plays guitar on it? She didn't know I mean, that. Very is, that is, is your wife? Is she real? Is my wife real? Yes. <laughs> I've never heard a woman say prog rock in my entire life. <laughs> well, she's married to me, Doug. She's listened yeah. to prog rock for the past 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really good. I mean, it just starts off with that weird opening, and then it's just uh, the drums coming in, and it kind of strange times and then um yeah harry comes in with that just baby like vocals that and then it just turns into something very different and with when robert fripp starts working his magic doing that i guess it brian eno would call that his Wimhurst guitar this is uh this is a sexy song yeah i know that sounds weird but it is a sexy song it is well we have a harry Stein combo again, <laughs> baby. Yeah, this song this is, is another uh, one where I don't know why it wasn't released as a single. It's a, a Fine, fine song. It's a fantastic song about a 12-year-old prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that explains something. It's uh, it's it's uh, based on a movie that Brooke Shields was in uh, called Pretty Baby that was also, oddly enough, based on another song called Pretty Baby. So the movie was based on a song. The song was based on the movie. Um, <laughs> I, thought, I thought she was a model or something. Was she a prostitute in that movie? Uh, yeah. I'm so naive. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I saw that movie though. Well, so yeah. there was all kinds of bad stuff about that because she was underage when she was playing that part or something like that. She was twelve and she's she's uh, naked in the film, and uh, yeah, that's 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 a, blind faith. Yeah, tell me about yeah. it. Um, and that's uh, maybe anyway. How'd you get away um, with that. I don't know art. Made I in guess. France, mm. maybe. Sorry. But, uh, uh, but regardless of all of that stuff, Please the be. song is a fine, fine song. It is a great song. Fine song. Um, well, I liked it better when I didn't know what it was about. Well, it's got that cool, it's got some uh, really neat 12-string guitar work on it. That's 12-string guitars kind of come up in our podcast quite a bit. They're jingly. I know, but I don't know. Number six. Yeah, this is the one real miss, I think, on this album. Really? Yeah. I kind of like it. It's repetitive, but it's got that kind of tribal thing that I like. The song is three minutes and 53 seconds long. I think it's about three minutes too long. (laughs) Well, it starts off with that weird 
uh, they talk in one ear and then they they talk in the other and then uh, yeah. And, I mean, and the ha- lyrics aren't all that, <laughs> um, you know, intriguing. Well, well it's uh, made by the. Uh, this is written by the bass player. No, the guitarist. former bass player. It's the guitarist, and he yeah. actually he sings switched. on it too. His vocals are pretty high up in the mix on this yeah, song. So I don't get why you would do that either. You got Deborah Harry, and then some guy who sounds like some New Jersey <laughs> j- schmo, you know, yeah. singing along with her. Work. I'm gonna go park your car. If that's all right. Yeah. Um. Uh, I don't. I don't know how you end a, the side with this song. This song, I mean, I understand. You're not the first person that I've talked to that likes this song, JM. I just don't get it. it, it you know, unlike unlike Fade Away and Radiate, which is also kind of a standout in terms of the rest of the songs on this album, this yeah. one just uh, mm, just rubs me the wrong way. I just, it's really? repetitive. And I don't, I don't have a problem with repetitive lyrics. I love the Ramones, and they usually have you know, one line they repeat 17 times. Yeah. But, I think uh, the thing that I like about it is, that the, yeah. yeah. And the instrumentation is pretty cool on it. I think that, you know, I think reason why Frank and Fonte wrote it was so that he could kind of showcase his guitar playing, which I think he does a pretty good job of. On this. I know, but I don't know. Do you like the song, Doug? <laughs> I, I, I know, I know, but I don't know. Oh, I got gotcha. you. You're being funny. <laughs> <laughs> trying thank you <laughs> i'll I'll be honest uh there's only one song on this album that i would ever listen to on purpose where i would uh tell alexa to play it boy are you just so wrong <laughs> <laughs> so i would say wrong. alexa play it. i've told alexa to play this album lots of times this me week, too so, me too um, and i have enjoyed you, every you bit of it my alexa she'd say what what? <laughs> I'm sorry, Doug. I can't let you. She'd do be that. like that Alexa Silver saying, "I'm sorry, I don't know what you're saying." <laughs> <laughs> no, you, 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 it'd be the Hal edition. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave. I can't let you do that. All right, Daisy. Let's flip this album over since Tony's already upset. Tony's going to spend the next uh, seven to twelve convincing me that I am wrong. On this, uh, and we have first up 1159. Can I say something about this? No song. Um, I mean, yes. <clears throat> okay. So, uh, in 1979, my for some reason, we used to have the. I mean, this is San Angelo, Texas. We're, and I'm 12 years old, and I went out. We were about to have a dance at my house. That was kind of the thing you did on weekends. Was you had dances that everybody in, you know, parents' garages. And I went out. I rode my bike on the Friday night that the dance was happening, and I bought the single at Kmart. For Heart of Glass, because Heart of Glass was like the big hit at the time. Foreshadowing. But I actually, so I went home and I was listening to it and I turned, I had the wrong side. And 1159 is the B side. Uh, B side of, of this. And I go, man, it's a cool song. It's real- Holy crap, I got the wrong song. 
<laughs> but then I turn it Oh, it's a heart attack. But 1159 <laughs> to Tony, this day. Is Tony, still... is there some theme to this uh, podcast <laughs> that, that comes to mind right now? The two of you listening to the wrong stuff? <laughs> I was thinking that we don't buy singles, JM Rope. I know we don't oh, buy th- singles, I but I, this was back about... when I was, yeah, this was. <laughs> I, I, I really needed to get that song because it was like the hit of the day and I wanted it to have it. It is actually the... uh, just a, a spoiler alert. I believe Heart of Glass was the number one single it, that year it came out. I think it That's was. That's how yeah. big that song was. Yeah. And she didn't but... finish a single word while singing it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, 1159, great song. I, I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, yeah. That's the one written by the keyboardist. It is. I I, I thought it, I, it's funny. I don't know why it's popped into my head that it's kind of that same idea of 1999 by Prince. You know, it's about living in yeah. the moment because you don't know when it's going to end. In this yeah. case, midnight. In Prince's case, the year 2000. <laughs> uh, and, and you know what I really like about this song is that keyboard bridge. Yeah. Uh, cool, it's just, cool. It's, it's awesome yeah it's this swirly kind of almost i don't know what it is but it's i just, mean it's like everybody on this album has a chance to shine yeah you know, like for frank and fonte as i know but i don't know uh for 1159 it was uh the keyboardist what's his name destry um and then uh yeah we'll just save it for clem burke he's got his his parts on this too but it's it's a good especially for a b-side i remember yeah. listening to the b-side more than i listened to well, the. you know it's it's in the single spot side mm-hmm. side uh track one of side yeah. two. N- yeah nothing nothing on this album's um makes sense. sequencing makes sense, makes sense. no <laughs> no i agree with that Poorly sequenced album for hits ever you, you think there was some reason for that because you're not dealing with amateurs? <laughs> no, no, I, I, I just, I, I have no idea why. And the way, and the way they pulled the singles off too was just odd um, as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, that the more I read about this, the more it seemed like it was, it was like a battle between someone who wanted hits and someone who didn't want hits. Exactly. <laughs> But I don't know anything. I don't know why that happened. You know, sometimes you just got to ask, will anything happen? Oh, wait. Number eight. Track eight. Will Anything Happen by Jack Lee. This is the lead guitarist of the Nerves again. This was not, I believe, a Nerves song, but they went back to that Jack Lee well and asked if he if they could record this song. Uh, this is one of the, I think, one of the rockier songs on the album, and it is it is power poppy as hell, this song. Love I it. Love this. Um, yeah, I love this I song. I think it's the third drink, right? Yeah. Um, and what, what's really cool about this, I, I mentioned earlier that Jack Lee was sort of down on his luck when, when they approached him, when they released this, uh, when they released the single hanging on telephone in the UK, this was the B side. So he had the A and the B side of the single in the UK writing credits for both of those, which I think is kind of a cool thing. It's a nice, nice bone to throw somebody, right? Yeah. 
Very I'm fine sure song. Appreciated it. Yeah. Okay. Now, <laughs> the only Blondie song I've ever listened to on purpose. Such nonsense. Sorry. <laughs> but this Sorry. may be their best song. What, 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 I don't know what is. Yeah. This is the only Blondie song you'd listen to on purpose? That's right. This is the only one I've ever initiated, except for the prep work for this uh, podcast. That's crazy. That is absolutely nuts. Well, it's hard to believe because I'm so such a good sport going along with this um might have been gotta remember, Tony, i only went to the roller skating rink when it was someone's birthday uh, <laughs> i see so we're talking about we're talking about uh hey look you know what i will take it because this music is fun this is what this is what uh this is why i give that 70s punk rock scene credit because what they did yeah. was they made music a blast again this this stuff is a blast like, and yeah. i don't know how i mean i just blows my mind that you could say like ripper to shreds is such a great song how could you not listen to that song you know um it's, it's not something that you're not going to be sitting there listening to the lyrics under a you know li- reading the lyrics under a you know a pine tree trying to what, look at it the where mountain. Did you come up with pine trees <laughs> <laughs> i was just we're in colorado in for Austin, two weeks Texas, so I, yeah, where are you yeah. going to get your pine trees <laughs> East Texas boy or something. Well, okay. I've been looking I, I, at mountains for two weeks. So, right, I'm, I'm so, kind of like, so without, let me dial back from my shock at your um, <laughs> utter nonsense. And let's talk about one of the greatest power pop songs ever written. It's a great this song. A fine, I love this. This is a song. fantastic song. It's almost a perfect song. I don't know why it didn't overshadow the rest of the album. It's so good. I'm because it came out in 1978, and when you release a single that's a disco song, that's the one that's going to take the limelight away from the rest of the album. Yeah, well, so, but I guess so. But kids, if I was it's dying, I would I would walk around telling people I wrote this song. It would be the third, <laughs> well, be the third word out of my mouth as I wrote it's, it's funny because you know Chris Stein has sole writing credit for it, and he said he was really nervous about having sole writing credit for it. He tried to talk Deborah Harry into getting like being on the thing. He ended up sticking just him, but he wrote it. Supposedly, I watched an interview with him uh, with Jules Holland um, from Squeeze. He had, a, I guess, a talk yeah. show in the late '80s or something. Yeah, and uh, and Deborah Harry and Chris Stein were on it, and they played this song. And so Jules Holland was asking him about it. And uh, he said that uh, Chris Stein says it was based on Deborah Harry's cat, which was named Sunday Man. And the cat, the cat had run away, hence the plaintive uh, kind of feeling to the song. <laughs> uh, which reminded uh, me of, uh, immediately reminded me of Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yeah. With yeah. The missing cat at the end. Yeah. Um, but Jimmy Destry says that's all nonsense. Chris Stein wrote this for Deborah Harry, not for some dumb cat. <laughs> well, what I heard was that on this song that they were actually, as she was singing it, they were, uh, they would stop the recording because Deborah Harry would say, I don't understand it. And they would rewrite the lyrics like right there. 
and which is another thing that's kind of surprising. This album was made in six weeks. I mean, yeah, she just and he, he said she would not do like more than one or two, like two or three takes, I think is what her, he said she would she would do. Her vocals they were on, right. the, on the second line of this song when oh. they just kick in and it's got this yes. kind of guttural, but but not guttural. I don't know how to describe it. I don't, it. Know, I don't, I don't know exactly what you're talking about. It's, it's um, the yes. first. It's the. It's ultra effeminate at first mm-hmm. with right. the soft feathery light singing and then comes her blonde yeah. voice that you're used to yeah and i mean it's almost like two the way songs. those two voices play together um i really like that I mean, yeah the way that she's that's again, a highlight this- for me is that there, she has these two voices that she comes at you yeah. with yeah, I mean that's that that song. It, the way she starts, okay, this is cool. How she's coming in with it, and then they get to the chorus, and you're like, oh my god! And then that's that's how they end it. So the the way it starts is amazing, and the way it ends, they end with the chorus, and it's it's amazing. Well, and there's a version of it where part of it's in French. Do you see? Yeah, like, yeah. do you still like that version? That. Like? Yeah. Um, I think everything sounds really good when sexy women sing in French. <laughs> and I'm saying that just from a technical standpoint. <laughs> like this, that girl singing about the balloons with Captain Kirk, uh, 99 Loft Balloons. I guess that's, that's German. German, isn't it? Yeah. Rocking there's, there's nothing sexy about rock. German. Let's there's get nothing this. sexy about German. Absolutely. Well, Someone needs to tell that girl because she didn't get the memo. Um, and then, and then uh, that was a long time ago, and I don't care about her anymore. So, uh, yeah, this song was released in the as, in the UK as a follow up to Heart of Glass, and not released in the states. It's just travesty. It's just I don't. So I don't. Sorry, kids. That. We, we got not one of these days. We're gonna do a review of how is this not a hit? We're gonna do a whole show called How Is This Not a Hit. Well, and this guys, was was disco big in the UK? I can't imagine that it would have been because this punk was so entrenched there at what that was, time. What was ABBA doing? Weren't they over there destroying music? Well, yeah, I I, I can't remember if I mentioned this to you guys or not. Um, but about that that video I watched that was the uh, top five songs from 1955 through uh, whenever. And yeah. you get the '60s and like three of the top five songs every year, Beatles songs. You hit the '70s; they're all they're all ABBA songs. <laughs> yeah, but it's amazing. It's, yeah. it's how could how could the same people? It's like the same people that uh, voted for uh, Obama voted. I mean, the same country that elected Obama elected Trump, and the same people who wanted the Beatles did uh, ABBA. Yeah. That's a documentary somebody can do. Anyway, yeah. we do it. We do have some fans in England, and we don't understand anything. So if y'all would please write us and let us know about your country, because it does affect who we end up listening to, and we got a bunch of questions. But Sunday right. Girls, a great song, and now's the massive, gigantic disco hit, another Harry Stein uh, production.
Party Glass. This is so, the first Blondie song I can remember hearing. And the first thing it, I remember is that it seemed like she was stoned out of her mind and that she couldn't finish any of the words. Well, um, that, that could be the case. Um, this was this song. This song. This song has something uh, something in common with um, with uh, I can't stop loving you off of modern sounds and country and western music, and that is both songs were monster hits, and both songs were buried deep on the second side because neither one of Ray Charles nor this band thought this song would do much. Um, they recorded a bunch of different ways, didn't well, they? Well, it was originally it was originally called a song. It was called "Once I Had Love," and then they also called it just jokingly called it the disco song. But when it was yeah. first recorded, it was really slow tempo, had kind of a weird reggae feel to it. It was the first song that Mike Chapman sat down and saw something. He heard it and he goes, okay, yeah. we need to do something with this song. And so they laid down a rhythm track with a rolling rhythm machine. And, mm-hmm. uh, and the baseline, according to Chris Stein, is based, <laughs> it's based on the James Bond Goldfinger theme. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, and then they came up with this kind of crossover hit because it is yeah. disco. But um, as we were talking at the end of the last podcast, when we were talking about doing this album, I think Doug, you even said, "Is it a disco song?" Because it's enough uh, not disco to where you could say, "Is it?" You know, you could find yourself yeah. liking it and not being not I being. Mean, there's some, yeah, there's but some really cool to it, and it's clearly two four time. Well, well and, okay, then there's a there's a couple of bars of three four in it. Have y'all ever noticed that where he they drop a, a beat? Uh, yeah. They drop a beat right before they go to the ooh, ooh uh, but the. Um, uh, yeah, he so drops it. There's a, it's, so there's a little bit. Of, I mean, this whole album has some sophistication to it. I mean, there's some modulation in it and there's some uh, there's some drop beats and there's, you know, some weird time signatures, especially with fade away and radiate. I mean, there's some this is not just a uh, a kick out the jams kind of album. It's, this is not just your rollers. This is not just your roller skating soundtrack, Doug, is what Jam is yeah. trying to say. Exactly. And then this, the the thing I like about this, I've been listening to it a lot this week, is that the synthesizer work is pretty cool on this song. And um, yeah, and then if you there's a if you look at the uh, midnight special that they hosted, they actually do this song live and they yeah. have a really the, the way that they bring they start the song off is is uh, very different from the the start of the album. So, I mean, you got some. They're just not painting by numbers on this. This this song made a lot of people in the New York punk scene very angry at this band. <laughs> Thought they were sellouts, couldn't believe they did disco. And uh, what's odd about that was uh, Deborah Harry says, yeah, well, there were people upset about the disco. There were even more people upset that they, she said the word ass in it. The song was yeah. banned in some places because of that. Because <laughs> she well, says in the United in the States- ass. 
<laughs> the single version, the single version, they they stop it after that, uh, uh, or they they fade it after that nine that uh, three four part. They stop it, and uh, yeah, so you don't hear the pain in the ass part, which is a, I think it's kind of the code of that song. Yeah. It makes it so cool. Didn't that make you homesick for a country that used to get offended by the word ass? I one of the things I like about Blondie is the way everybody is trashing them from for switching genres all the time and they just keep doing it and uh, they did they did hit almost every genre even i remember when rapture came out oh, yeah and, uh, nobody um, knew anything about rap yet in well, fact the term rapture a lot of us didn't have any uh connection with uh, the other meaning of that word <laughs> You could argue listening to the uh, the wordplay in that song that that Deborah Harry may not have known much about rap either. <laughs> it doesn't matter. She looked good singing it. Uh, not that that matters to me. Anyway, next song is "I'm Gonna Love You Too." This is why we're in. That's why. This is why we are uh, commenting on this because, of course, that song was written by Buddy Holly. From uh, that's why we're experts, Sam. Yep. All right. This is why we're experts. Yeah. (laughs) Boy, what a great cover of this song! It is a great cover of this song. It really is. They almost. Yeah. Um, Uh, Why the hell did anybody ever need to cover it? Thank you. Anyway, back to uh, back to our program. Well, you could say that about a lot of songs that people cover, but it's a great cover of it. It doesn't just doesn't take away from the fact that it's a fantastic version. Okay. Okay. I think it's I think I mean, it seems pretty it's reverential at the same time as um, what one of these guys in that band when they came to. Texas made a long drive to go see his statue in Lubbock. So mm. that did improve my opinion of them. Uh, <laughs> I mean, did, did anybody need to c- cover George on my mind after Gray Charles did it? He did that song? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the person who covered it did an amazing version of it. So yeah, fine oh. job. No, I'm I'm I think they do a good job and uh it was it was delightful to see them pay tribute to uh, such a great rock and roller. Well, yeah. I think this goes back to what this scene was about. It was about bringing rock and roll back to the heyday of yep. of that yeah. that that time frame. In particular when we talked about the Ramones, we talked about pre-Beatles invasion American yep. music Before and here you go. Died. 
This is this is yeah. the quintessential pre-Beatles invasion American music, Buddy Holly. Yeah. I, you know, I've I've never heard anyone talk about um punk rock being about the music before the music died. And, oh, that's, and that's really what it is. It's about well, at least the American version of it is. Yeah. Well, yeah, the other version's about um screaming at the queen and stuff like that. <laughs> That's JM's burden to carry for the rest of his life for taking that side. <laughs> I carry it well. <laughs> All right, just go away. Don't go back. Don't go away now. Just go away. the song i thought it i think it's a great way to end the song and it the thing that surprises me how it ends the album is like what is it four bars of just drums mm-hmm. which is kind of cool and uh, i'm gonna give some shout out to clem burke i thought he did a fantastic job on the drums on this i don't know if if it was just studio work to make him sound so good but i thought he did a great job on on this, but I was watching some of the uh, um, live videos of him playing, and I thought he just he he does some really unusual stuff, and um, I'm I was much more impressed. I think the drums is what I what I listened to the most on this album. Does uh, does he not have some of the best drummer hair ever, Clint Burke? Well, he does have some of the best drummer. Hair. Yeah, it's like the quintessential drummer hair. It's like. Um, <laughs> Spinal Tap drummer hair. It's like a helmet. I don't know what's going on there. But I don't know. What's JM, do you remember on. we actually saw him at Antone's? Yeah, Records, we, was uh, it Antone's or was it? It was yeah. Antone's. A couple. What about maybe ten years ago or something? Yeah, he was about ten hanging, years ago. I think he was going to play or something. Well, yeah, he was about to play with some band, that, and he was just fumbling through the the CDs that were there. Yep. yep. So, yeah, we almost wanted to win one of those shows I wasn't invited to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Seemed like it's been about 12 of those by now. <clears throat> yeah, we need to tell him that we almost uh, sent him a link to this. You're like so cool. 30, uh, 30 episodes from now, it'll be interesting how high that number gets. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess that wraps this up. This album went to number one in the uk and number six in the states number nine in swedish albums which what does that mean seven albums i don't know sorry Um, i don't think we got any love for sweden so we can talk about them all we want i uh i think it's worth mentioning before we dial out though about their blondie's induction into the rock and roll hall of fame it's pretty remarkable i think it's i think it's considered one of the most uh um cringe inducing awkward moments of any acceptance speech um doug i don't know if you watched it or not but i have uh, not you can go ahead and tell me in america at the same time so uh (laughs) they're up there it's a a lot of the original members of the band and uh chris stein talks deborah harry talks clemberg talks then frank infante gets up to talk and at the time blondie was clemberg uh Deborah Harry, 
Chris Stein and then some other guys. So uh, yeah. Jimmy Destry, Nigel Harrison, Frank and Fonte weren't part of the band anymore, but they were being inducted with them. So he gets up and he begs Deborah Harry to let him play. Be inducted into the Hall of Fame. And actually, uh, one thing that could really make it better would be if we could actually perform for you tonight. But for some reason, some of us are not allowed to do that. So I don't know what we could do about that, but I'd like to do that. And I'd like to play, but Debbie, is that allowed? No? We'd like to play with you guys. Me, Nigel. Not tonight. Uh, pretty please. Pretty please, Debbie. No. no. I love Can't you. Can't you see my, my band is up there? Oh, your band. I, I thought Blondie was being inducted tonight. And, um, Sorry. Lee Fox, Paul Carbonara, and Kevin Patrick. Are they being inducted? Horrible thing. Horrible thing. Anyway, <laughs> Chris Stein later on in a, in a press, uh, in an in a, uh, interview afterwards, he was holding their award, and he said, I'm holding on to this just in case I see Frank and Fonte. I'm going to bash him over the head with this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Ouch. didn't... Uh, yeah, and didn't Chris Stein had he was near death at one point. He had some yeah, sort yeah, of had autoimmune, autoimmune disease. Yeah, and, yeah. Him. and then uh, Debbie Harry uh, hung out with him yeah. and took care of him, and he made a remarkable recovery. They yeah, they didn't record really, anything. Really, really interesting relationship the two of them. They do. Like yeah. when he's talking about thanking his wife and kids, and then he says, you know, and couldn't do it without Deborah Harry, and she leans over and they kiss each other on the lips, which is not that big a deal, but it's just an interesting relationship they have. Well, yeah. if I kissed her on the lips, it'd be a big deal, even though I would never do that, and I don't find her attractive at all. Um, <laughs> so Chris Stein ended up marrying some uh, actress that's famous or something. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen a movie in 15 years, so I don't know who she is, but... <laughs> Uh, they all lived happily ever after, apparently. Yeah. And, well, except uh, for Frank Infante, who's got a giant New York-sized chip on his shoulder. Yeah. Well, they actually talk about that in that um, New York Times um, piece that, that came. I can't remember if it's New York Times or Wall Street Journal, but if you can find it, look it up. I tried looking it up today. I couldn't find it. I, I used to, when I had a... We'll get some smart to, people to look it up. Yeah. <laughs> Someone yeah. who... Somebody, somebody who knows the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody who knows yeah, their way around a computer. Yeah. No, All right, yeah. guys. Well, thank you very much. It was a, a pleasure uh, going going to uh, Blondie Land. <clears throat> <laughs> Did that sound genuine? <laughs> no. That's really not genuine. I, I'm just a little butthurt that they were compared to the pretenders. Um, <laughs> Well, this is going to butt hurt you even more. I would listen to Blondie over the Pretenders any day of the week. Oh, oh. okay, that makes me. Feel I can't better, sit down anymore. That that makes me think that um, there's something wrong that I don't understand. I just need to be very patient. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tony, that was great. Thank you for. Uh, <laughs> bringing the 70s back alive for the rest of us and i believe that was the first time we've covered disco so thank you for that and uh if you're a regular fan if you'll just write down that tony was the first one to bring up a disco record we'd appreciate that <laughs> now if you're tony, sober enough you are yeah you probably heard power pop too many times <laughs> um <laughs> you're you're our connection to the next generation um uh, do you have something for the kids tonight? 
<laughs> uh, well, I'm going to go back even further than this album and make a recommendation. Um, and oddly enough, it's a power pop band. No way. It's a band, it's a band we talked about tonight. I am recommending a compilation of the Nerves album or, or songs. It's called One Way Ticket. It is fantastic. If you want to hear some really fantastic power pop, power pop, power pop, uh, dial this up. One way ticket. The song songs on it. It's got, of course, hanging on telephone. It's got a great song called "Working Too Hard" on it. Um, it's uh, the song. The 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 song. The compilation is named after one way ticket. Is fantastic. There's not a bad song on it. Um, but uh, if you're if you're curious to see what inspired Blondie to you know to uh, record that version, I, I highly recommend it. You can get it on CD on Amazon or or even I think it's available on vinyl too. So do yourself a favor. Well, that's it for tonight's show. Next week we'll be looking at an album by a great songwriter, but who's now known as a composer, Randy Newman's. Good old boys. Some people got lost in the flood. Some people got away all right. They'll have busted through, cleared down a plaque of mine. Six feet of water in the streets of Evangeline. Louisiana. Louisiana. Wash us away, that child wash us away, Louisiana, Louisiana. Be sure and look us up on Facebook, and we're also on Instagram, and of course we're on Twitter at Tapping Vinyl. And everyone, you can email us at tappingvinyl at gmail.com. Please leave us a note, leave us a review, give us a star rating, tell us what albums you think we should consider for an upcoming episode. And of course, if you know anyone that likes music and the LP format, please be sure and let them know about this podcast. We'd love to get the word out. So for our host, Doug Cooper, our co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. This is Vinyl Tap, where all the podcasts go to 11. On behalf of all of us here at This is Vinyl Tap, we don't want you to fade away, but we do want you to radiate. Hey, uh, one last one thing I do want we need to say who Susie Quattro is, I think. Okay. There, are there Go four ahead. of them? <laughs> <laughs> leather Tuscadero? Yeah, so <laughs> Susie Quattro is uh was le- leather tux Tuscadero. Tuscadero, yeah, with and Pinky was her supposed sister.
but she was actually a uh, a legitimate uh, rock and roll star, especially in Europe. She did have a an early hit. There is a version uh, that song "Stumbling In." Our love is a I can't remember who actually had the hit with it, but she and uh, a guy named Chris Norman did the original version of it. And she was actually, um, like I said, much more popular in Europe. And they really tried to push her here in the States, but it just never took. But there is a Stoner Steve actually turned me on to a uh, Netflix documentary about Susie Quattro. And they actually do talk to uh, the producer here. Um, Mike Chapman. Mike Chapman. Yeah. So, he uh, was instrumental in her success. He was instrumental yeah. in a lot of people's success, including Blondie yeah. and this album we're talking about.